Today, I, I want to connect the Torah portion with the great work of God and the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week, among other topics, we read about the prophet Bilam, who is a false prophet. And one of the things that makes him a false prophet is he is against the purposes of God. He opposes the blessing that God has pronounced on Israel, even though early he seems to be neutral or even positive or tolerant of it. In the end, we find not only is he against Israel being blessed by God, he wants Israel to be cursed. And anyone who takes that position has uh, falseness running through them. But there is a passage in Numbers chapter 22, verse 32, a phrase that really caught my attention in the complete Jewish Bible, David Stern's translation. It's the phrase, rushing to oppose me. And it was used to explain why God was standing against Bilam. Numbers 22, verse 32, the angel of the Lord said to Bilam, why did you hit your donkey three times like that? Now you'd understand the story if you've read your Torah portion already. <laughs> the Lord is saying, it's not the donkey's fault. I have come out here to bar your way because you are rushing to oppose me. That's one of the translations that got my attention. You're rushing to oppose me. Your direction is against me. Your direction is against what I have in mind. And I read several different translations and looked at the Hebrew carefully. One way of putting it is this, the Lord saying, I'm opposing you, I'm your adversary. It even uses a word that is from the same root as Satan, which means adversary. But the Lord is saying, I'm your adversary because your path is leading you headlong against me. You're going headlong into the way of destruction. Another translation says, I have come to block your way because you're stubbornly resisting me or you are contrary to me. But I like this translation, this is my own. I'm opposing you and trying to stop you because you're opposing me and trying to stop me. And so the Lord is saying to Bilam, I'm against you and all that you're standing for and I stand in your way. And in a sense, this is Bilam's last chance to get his heart right. But if you follow the story to its conclusion, you'll see he doesn't get his heart right. He never settles his heart to be lined with God's heart to do what God wants for the sake of the Jewish people. And instead, he's, he's like a prototype of, of uh, anti-Semitism, if you will hating the Jewish people and the call of the Jewish people, and in fact, hating God for choosing the Jewish people. Thinking it's an either or, you choose the Jews or you choose us, 
rather than understanding that the love of God is so big that it encompasses not only the Jewish people, but all the nations. Well, as I was thinking about this way that, that, that God is standing in the midst of, he's standing in the middle of an evil way, and he's saying, don't go this way. I was taken to Isaiah chapter 35, which speaks of the way of the Lord. It's an interesting description. Isaiah 35 verse 8 says, There will be a highway called the way of holiness. Say that with me. The way of holiness. The unclean will not travel it. Only those who walk in that way. In other words, you have to come to terms with the holiness of God to walk on the path that God has. Some people never make that uh, recognition and, and they, they think that if, if you come to God, what will happen is your, your check, checking account will grow. Or that all your problems will go away. How many can, can verify that you've got some new problems since you decided to follow the Lord? And how many can verify that what Yeshua said is true, that in this world you will have trouble? So following the Lord does not mean you don't have trouble. In fact, you have a special kind of trouble. It's the trouble that comes from walking with God who is holy. The passage goes on, the unclean will not travel it, only those who walk in that way and fools will not stray into it. That is an interesting thought. Fools, the naive and those who, who have not opened their hearts and their eyes to the Lord, they will not accidentally come into the way of holiness. This is a path for the deliberate. Those who walk in the way and want to stay on the way. And Yeshua said about this path that it's a narrow path. And not many find it. And it raised the question for me, what does it take to find it? And I, I think we could say, you've got to be looking for this path. You may not know that you were looking for Yeshua when you were looking for the path. That happened to me. I was looking for a path of truth and life and spiritual uh, reality and community. And I was shocked as a Jew to find Yeshua's on that path. It was supposed to be good news, it wasn't for me. <laughs> but it turned out to be the best news. You have to be seeking for it. The scripture says, when you seek for me with all your heart, you will find me. It's almost as if it's a guarantee. When you're not just seeking because you're trying to get out of a momentary difficulty, even though that may be one of the motivations, if that's the only motivation, as soon as the difficulty is uh, improved, the seeking is gone. There's another aspect, continuing to stay on the path, to walk in this path. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 7, we'll see a connection between what Yeshua says about this and the Torah portion. Matthew 7, verse 13 is where I want to read from. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. One of the translations about uh, Bilam is he was headlong 
and headstrong going down the way of destruction. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate. Say that with me. Small is the gate. And narrow the way that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, I've always read this as if that's a self-contained package, but actually verse 15 is a continuation of the thought. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, how many of you know this? Sheep don't really have clothes. (laughs) There's not a place that the sheep go to shop going to get a nice outfit today. No, they come, this, this simply means they come with an outward appearance as if they're sheep in order to get into the flock. And what that means, if you think of it, is the, the sheep are all eating together and these false prophets, they come into the flock as if they want to eat together. But Yeshua says inwardly, They are ravenous wolves. So it's not that they want to eat together, it's that they want to eat you. They want to eat us. And Yeshua uses this term, ravenous wolves, to make it really clear. They are hungry with an appetite that cannot be satisfied with just one. That helps us understand who Balaam was and what was motivating him and Balak and those who were joined to him. They wanted to see the flock of God, the children of Israel, utterly consumed. It wasn't enough that they would be neutralized. They wanted the children of Israel to be destroyed. That was their purpose. That was their intent. And I think it helps us. It helps us focus on something. What is in our heart? What do we desire? Do we desire to go the way of the Lord or some other way? Peter has a comment about Balaam and those like him. It's in 2 Peter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says, they have left the straight way. Do you see the, the theme of the way? There's a straight way, there's a narrow way. There's a way that leads to destruction. There's another way that leads to life. They have left the straight way and they've wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, and that's a fascinating topic, uh, an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice (coughs) and who restrained the madness of the prophet. You see, Balaam was a prophet but he was driven by madness rather than clarity from the Lord. His heart wasn't submitted to the Lord. He was not wanting to fulfill what God wanted fulfilled. He made his desires the top priority. Now, a couple of days ago, my phone showed a message from an old friend, Arturo Divitalis, who I haven't seen in, in decades, but 
Uh, he was a potter in Rochester, New York, who we knew, a believer who, who um, was just an interesting guy, and I think a, a hippie of some sort. You could say a believing hippie. Did you know there are such? And he wrote something that just popped up on my phone um, through a channel of communication about an old friend who had passed away uh, through a... a an accident. I don't know why Arturo wrote this, but it captured my attention. He said, sin is not what you're doing, it's what you are being. Deliberate, conscious opposition to the will of God. Living apart and separated from his perfect plan for your life and refusing to acknowledge him and rejecting his perfect love. So it's not just your behavior, it's what's in your heart and the opposition to God. This is the sin that is a capital offense, if you will, before God. Now, every one of us sins in our behavior. How many can verify that? Each one of us falls short. Each one of us has regrets. Isn't this true? And each one of us needs some kind of mercy applied to the just penalty that we deserve. And that's where Yeshua comes in, his sacrifice, is that um, atoning sacrifice that, that enables us to say, the price has been paid, the penalty has been paid by the Lord for me. But it's not just about our behavior. There's something more, because the Lord looks inwardly, he looks into the heart. The Lord examines what's in your heart. Because sometimes your heart may, may be good and strong, but your behavior falls short. Isn't that right? What the Lord wants each one of us to reckon with, to deal with, is this. That when our hearts are against him, when our hearts are against him, Everything in our life is really against him, even if some things appear good and some things may be good. But what true life requires is that our hearts be fully the Lord's. And that's why the great commandment, the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength, all your might. To hold nothing back. And even though we grow in the reality of that, there is a point where we have to come, come to terms with the Lord. Am I on his path, the way of holiness, or am I on another path that really is against the Lord? And when we are against the Lord, there's only one remedy, and that's to repent, to turn away from that path, and to humble ourselves before God, to confess our sin, and to change our direction so that we are going with God and towards God. No matter how far away we may be at that point, no matter how long the journey may take, no matter how regretful our actions may have been, there is a way of turning. And for those whose heart is, is with the Lord, we can say, stay with the Lord. If you're in that period where you're deciding, like counting the cost. What, what am I going to do? I'm not sure. I'm sort of sure. I want to tell you this. If someone promises you all your problems are going to go away, they're trying to sell you a bill of goods. Don't be a sucker. 
The way of the Lord is not always easy, but it's good. The way of the Lord is necessary. There is no other way. You want to get from Egypt to the promised land? Some people want to take a fast train. There was no train. Some people want to go the straight way, like, well, we can make it in just a few days if we all just go north. No. The way through the wilderness is designed to strengthen us, to fortify us, to purify us, to give us the experience we need in order to follow the Lord, not just for a moment, but for all the days of our lives. And not only that, the way of the Lord allows us to develop community. We don't go by ourselves. We go together. And you will find, as you're moving forward with the Lord, and as you're moving forward in this congregation, there are people who are moving forward who are very different from you. They look differently, they talk differently, they think differently. But what they have in common is they have a heart for God and a heart for God's people. And about this they stand together. And so you may look around and say, I didn't really think I wanted to go with that kind of person. <laughs> well, that's the, what they're thinking about you too. No. <laughs> that's the temptation. That's the temptation. Don't give in to it. No, instead, look around and say, you know what? It's a glorious thing when God brings together the Jewish people and the people from all the nations of the world. My hope and my desire is that one day our congregation would have in our midst people from every country where we have listeners through our podcast because we're reaching over 100 countries already. And wouldn't it be great if we had 100 nations and if we had Jewish people from every place on the planet as well? It'd be a wonderful and a glorious thing. That's my hope. That's my desire, and I'm going forward with you as we pursue this. More next week. We're going to close now with Aaron's blessing. And I want to ask you to stand, and if you're standing by yourself, I want to encourage you to move just enough so that you are not alone. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Join us for coffee and fellowship next door at the Shalom Center. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.